His father was a glove maker and his uh, and was also a, a figure in the community, like in civic local civic positions. And so that meant that um, William Shakespeare had a little bit of a better chance of going to school um, along with his siblings. So when he turned 18, William, he married Anne Hathaway from The Devil Wears Prada. Just kidding. A different Anne I Hathaway. Yeah, anyway, she was 26 and he was 18, so get that cougar cub girl, get it, you know? Say that shit. Woof. Wait, what? (laughs) Cheers. Hello, everybody, welcome back. Um, This is a podcast where Kendall and I talk about some stuff and laugh about some stuff um and we learn some stuff so i'm gonna start with some shakespearean insults because i think that's the way to catch people getting interested in it right uh so the first one i have is um go prick thy face and overread thy fear thou lily-livered boy <laughs> yeah so this is from macbeth And what this means is basically go prick your face to make yourself not look so pale, you little wimp. (laughs) Um, Lily livered was a saying that meant if your liver was pale, you were a coward versus a healthy red liver is like brave. So lily livered means like, you know, kind of like yellow bellied or something, you know, put some. In other words, go put some blush on and pretend you're not so pale and scared. (laughs) um so that's what that means that's one of the harder ones to decipher and i had to look that up because it wasn't i had the i had a vibe but i wasn't quite sure is it is it insulting if it's not clear you know i think yes if the person saying it knows it and the person (laughs) who's getting the insult doesn't (laughs) so okay here's another one i must tell you friendly in your ear Sell when you can. You are not for all markets. Oh. So that one's a little easier to translate, but it's from As You Like It. Um, It means, look, some friendly advice. Get it where you can because you're not that great of a catch. So it's sort of like saying beggars can't be choosers. I like that a lot. Yeah. Oh, no. My favorite one is still coming. So this is not it, but I have two more. So... You scullion, you rampallion, you fustilarian, I'll tickle your catastrophe. So I didn't know what that meant. I mean, obviously I get the vibe. It's, you know, aggressive. <laughs> but I uh, looked it up and I found somebody who, who deciphered it instead that I thought was amazing from Thought Catalog. So here it is. <laughs> it's from Henry IV. And um, <laughs> here we go. You trick, you mark, you mark-ass trick, you trick-ass mark, you punk bitch, you skip-scap-skank, you scallywag, you hoe, you heifer, you hee-haw, you hooly-hoo. I'm going to laugh when you get horrible karma you deserve in your life. That's what that means. <laughs> oh, damn. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I was like, oof, what are you really feeling? <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm mad. <laughs> and then the final one, which is my personal favorite. Villain, I have done thy mother. Oh, there you go. And it's exactly what you think it is. (laughs) Yeah. There you go. Yeah. So that one's from Titus Andronicus. So anyway, moving on to the question. Okay. 
a f- you know, some people get Shakespeare, some people just don't. It's like another language. So have you in school had trouble understanding the dialogue in a Shakespearean thing in a production or oh, in a story? Absolutely. Yeah, I think most of us do. Um, you know, in high school, it was definitely lost on me. <laughs> Those poor teachers just, you know, with everybody just not giving a shit. And it's just really high level stuff. Um, I liked how weird and interesting some of those stories got, but I didn't know what the fuck was going on. So um, only many years later and with complete focus and subtitles on have I begun to appreciate it. Yeah. So with that, we're going to go right into the drink. Okay. The Taming of the Shrew Driver. (laughs) So, this is uh, just a playful way to say a screwdriver, um, which, fun fact, you just came from a wedding. I always think a great choice uh, is a screwdriver to order at a wedding because the OJ just gives you that little burst of energy and while the vodka... Is. Yeah, while the vodka does what vodka does. <laughs> um, so, it's just it's just a funny way to call it a screwdriver. Um, it's based on the taming of the shrew, which is a Shakespearean play, so... Actually, um, the movie 10 Things I Hate About You was based on The Taming of the Shrew. So anyway, if you've seen that movie. Heath Ledger? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Interesting, huh? Yeah. So uh, you need about one and a half ounces of vodka for this and then top it with orange juice. There you go. Screwdriver. Easy peasy. Um, Okay. So... Who was Shakespeare? So <clears throat> they think he was born on April 23rd, which it was why, which is why it was on my mind this past week because it just passed. Um, and they also believe that he, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, may have died on his birthday, which it would have made him 52 years old. Wow. Um, his father was a glove maker and his uh, and was also a, a figure in the community, like in civic local civic positions. And so that meant that um, William Shakespeare had a little bit of a better chance of going to school um, along with his siblings. So when he turned 18, William, he married Anne Hathaway from The Devil Wears Prada. Just kidding. A different Anne Hathaway. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. Anyway, she was 26 and he was 18. So get that cougar cub girl. Get it. You know? So some years later, um, he went to London to try to, you know, make it. He found a company of actors called the Lord Chamberlain's Men, um, and he produced an average of two plays per year for uh, 20 years, um, in addition to a ton of poems. Um, Lord Chamberlain's Men became known as the King's Men later, but whatever. Uh, He stayed with it throughout his life. Um, And it was just during that time that he wrote really famous ones like King Lear, Macbeth, um, as well as Winter's Tale and The Tempest. So altogether, his works were comprised of 38 plays, two narrative poems, 154 sonnets, and a bunch of other poems. Um, Actually, the only reason that we even have half of those plays today is because that company of actors saved his stuff after he died with the intention of publishing it. Um, Yeah. So anyway, everyone loved his plays. Um, They kept coming to see them, which made him, you know, rich. (laughs) Um, He bought the biggest house in his hometown, which is called Stratford-upon-Avon, where he was from. So that he could keep ties with his hometown, even though he spent most of his time in London. 
Um, controversy now. Um, so because none of his original manuscripts have survived, there's a huge question as to whether Shakespeare was the original author of all these works or if he just took credit as like a front man. I've heard that and I forgot about that. Yeah. 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 So it's still, it's still controversial. So, um, so Smithsonian, my favorite magazine that everyone should buy a subscription to because it's inexpensive and it's amazing, uh, says uh, skeptics have long belittled the notion of a barely educated small town boy who moves to London to work as an actor and is suddenly writing masterpieces of unrivaled beauty and sophistication. In fact, uh, he, there are some um, people, some famous people who doubt his authenticity. So that includes Mark Twain, Walt Whitman, the poet. Sigmund Freud, remember the psychoanalysis guy, yeah, um, and Orson Welles. So there are just people who who look at this and say, you know, wait a minute, there's some things that don't make sense to make this work. So some of the clues that kind of feed this controversy are: one, he was born to an apparently illiterate glove maker and his wife. Even if dad got a good job, as I said a minute ago, and he was able to, and William was able to go to school, huzzah, um, then how is he capable of writing so well above the norm? How is he this master writer without like a, ba like with just a basic education? Um, skeptics argue that someone who had a working vocab um, of more than 17,000 words, along with inventing 3,200 original words and phrases, could not be somebody with only a grammar school school education yeah uh, which means elementary school education what do you think about that i mean it's it's sounding very like roswell but i <laughs> like i see the point he's you said he invented how many words 3200 uh-huh yeah i mean <laughs> i mean i don't know i i think i don't know we, we'll get to that we'll get to like what i think in a second but um no, we're going to get to it right now. Personally, <laughs> I believe, gasp, people are actually capable of deep thought, even if their families don't have what's Say culturally considered to be intelligence, right? Yeah, yeah. But still, I mean, it could be, it, it doesn't close the door in my mind that it was definitely him because, you know, okay, number two reason for potential controversy. There's nothing legitimate that survived that shows he's the person who wrote all these things. So the only definitive examples of Shakespeare's handwriting are six signatures all on legal documents. And, you know, there's like few um, letters or diaries of any commoners or anything from that time that would have survived. So in other words, there's nothing in his own handwriting that proves he wrote these works because they're all long gone, whoever wrote them. Wow. So three, reason number three, there are a few surviving legal documents, as I said, from his life, um, but they also don't quite add up to the, like, what we think he is, being a wise and, you know, wonderful poet. Um, he sued over debts, like, as small as two shillings, huh? and he was accused of hoarding grain in, in Stratford, his hometown, during a famine. Um, then... Uh, then there, there's his will where he gave his wife his second best bed, not his first best. I don't know who got that one. Did he bury himself in it? I don't know. I don't know. What? Maybe he just wanted to show her, like, you can't have it. Um, oh, my God. So he was he not, it. like, fun to hang out with. Yeah, he sounds kind of, well, I mean, he could, that could be 
I could argue that could be an artist. You know, some of them are eccentric as fuck and really mean and like weird. Some, yeah, some are wonderful, but you know, that doesn't necessarily sell me just because he, he was selling, uh, or sorry, he was suing over like two shilling debt. Like that just says to me, like he is on principle really wants his money. I, or it could mean he really needs that money cause he's poor or something. I don't know. No. Cause he's got two beds. Of his he own. just sounds petty as petty. all hell. A little messy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But if he was like, like this great genius, like I could see him getting a little arrogant. Like, you know, everybody's telling him what a great job he's doing. Nobody's keeping him in his place. I could still, like, that doesn't, it doesn't seem, you know, weird. And er, sorry, it does seem weird. So, um, anyway, they think, you know, he's this romantic poet, poet and writer, and he's willing to screw his wife out of his best bed. Like, come on. Like, this is a jabroni and like yeah. not possibly the author of such like beautiful, you know, life-changing works. Right. So there's other little things around um, the conspiracy that feed it. And we're not going to get into too much of that because that would just take forever. But just basically with, with this kind of ambiguity, like there's nothing that survived that shows that he physically wrote these manuscripts. They're in his handwriting. Um, you know, he's pretty petty, um, whatever. All these things uh, create ambiguity. And with ambiguity comes conspiracy theories. Always. It's like they're best friends and they always, always hang out together. So um, doubters over the years have proposed up to 60 candidates as the real Shakespeare. Oh, my um, God. Uh, yeah. Among them, Sir Walter Raleigh, Christopher Marlowe, and Queen Elizabeth herself, who reigned during that time. The favorite among skeptics, though, um, was Francis Bacon. He's a philosopher. He's really he's a wealthy philosopher and writer. Um, some Baconians maintained that secret codes sprinkled throughout Shakespeare's plays pointed to the work's true author. So, for example, this is ridiculous. I don't know how people have time to do this. By counting the difference in total words in two passages from Henry IV, Part One, multiplying that by the number of hyphenations, then using the result to move up or maybe down a page somewhere else, you can begin to extract hidden messages, such as Shakespeare never writ a word of them. So pulling out little codes from how many hyphens and lines and things which is just i mean that's a bit much for me personally but that's insane it is insane people do this stuff on everything they do it with the illuminati stuff they do it with you know the i mean obviously with this shakespeare stuff i mean they do it they QAnon. i mean people just have all day to sit here and be like well wait if i divide the square root of how many words he had maybe it'll give me a message well oh. eventually something's gonna stick and it doesn't mean it's a message right yeah at some point it's dumb luck and at some point i mean you you said that like it wasn't even spelled right Mm-hmm. Right? it wasn't it wasn't and they think that that's a message i mean like uh, okay <laughs> i know it's just stupid but whatever Let how do people do yeah <laughs> so <clears throat> listen it's a bit much for me because i'm a as i said before on previous episodes i'm a believer that usually not always but usually the path of least resistance is usually the answer yeah now the idea goes that there was this 
mediocre actor named William Shakespeare, you know, petty, dumb guy. And there was this super smart, rich, and super educated guy. And the two basically made a deal. The rich one was destined uh, for predetermined lordship or whatever and couldn't possibly be an artist. While the artist, Shakespeare, couldn't possibly ever reach the status of fame that he wanted on his own talent. So the two joined forces to create one persona and many believed the real Shakespeare, as I said, is actually Sir Francis Bacon. But in the end, nothing's proven. It's just a theory. That sounds it's very a- the wife to me. Did you see the wife? Yeah. Yeah. Woof. Yes. It's just so conspiracy. Like it's just, I, I'm not, I never want to close that door, but I just feel like that seems like a lot of work and a lot of trust because you got to assume this, this jabroni Shakespeare front man guy is going to keep his mouth shut. And right. you know, the deal and you can't tell anybody and you know, whatever, I don't know it, whatever. If the press know. finds out or if one of them gets a little too loose lipped, then it all comes crashing down. That's what I think. And it would be a whole lifetime of that. It would be a yeah. whole lifetime to pull off this heist. And I think that's really unlikely to do. Doesn't yeah. mean it's impossible, but I think it's more likely he just was really talented, I think. And yeah. he just rose up and people appreciated during the right time in history what he was saying. You know, he was a good storyteller, but I don't know. So we're almost done. This is a really quick one. Um, movies that are based on Shakespearean plays. I already mentioned the 10 things I hate about you is based on Taming of the Shrew. Um, the Lion King is based on Hamlet. Do you what? Know that one? Yeah. Yeah. You've got a young, naive prince. A king is killed by his own brother. Dad ghost pops up to talk to his son, you know, to take back the kingdom or whatever. Oh, my God. I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah. Isn't that cool? That is cool. Yeah, actually, um, so West Side Story is based on Romeo and Juliet, um, but so is Warm Bodies. <laughs> Did you see Warm Bodies, the zombie movie? I don't think so, but I'm really bad at this. Remind That's me. okay. It was a funny one. It's like he, it's like from the perspective of the zombie, and so he's like just wandering around, and yeah, he finds the, he finds this girl, and he wants to protect her, but she, he can't like talk or anything because he's obviously a zombie, but he's thinking logically um but anyway it's it's just a cute little like weird story um anyway yeah um i like that movie a lot actually it's so weird even though it has like giant holes in it it doesn't matter i like it doesn't matter it doesn't matter um she's the man uh is one of my personal guilty pleasure movies it's so terrible but i love it that happens Yes, good. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that happens to be based on my favorite Shakespearean play ever, which is Twelfth Night. Um, you know, dresses up like a man, tries to, you know, fool everybody, whatever. Anyway, um, the movie O was based on Othello. That's an old one from like the early 2000s. Um, and another one from my old days of youth, uh, Get Over It with Kirsten Dunst is based on Midsummer Night's Dream. So... Anyway, the point is, there's just a ton of... There's uh, a million, yeah. Because there's so many, like, easy templates to use from it. Um, He told such good, like, fundamental to humanity stories that, you know, uh, that it just took off, you know, and people are using it to this day, so... I've heard that there's, um, well, two things. So, she's the man, and earlier you mentioned As You Like It, I did a project in school 
they were like assigning Shakespeare's way to do like a play poster kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And as you like, it was one. And it, that's kind of similar because like, the, I'm going to get this fucked up, but it's like the, the girl dresses up as a boy and like runs through the woods trying to find who she wants to marry. Like she was already dating him and he had to go somewhere. And she had I don't, to, is that I don't right? Know. Is that I don't know. It sounds like Twelfth Night, but that's not quite Twelfth Night. But I don't know As You Like It. I'm not familiar with that one. I'm um, wondering if it's pretty similar. Because I'm remembering um, the movie, and I'm like, well, it's kind of like... I could see if Lion King is this, that could be this. Um, and then there was yeah. another one that I've heard that is so good. Uh, I think it's called Romeo and Juliet, but it's Leo hmm. DiCaprio. Right. Yeah, Exactly. And it is good. It's it's done in modern day times, but they use Shakespearean language. Language. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, been... so like a dagger is a gun in it, like for example. Right. But then they do yeah. the whole like King James version, like la 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 la. Mm-hmm. It's very good. Um, but again, it's one of those that you have to like, again, I, I don't know about everybody, but I need to turn the subtitles on so I can read what I'm hearing because <laughs> otherwise right. it goes too fast. And I'm like, what the fuck did he just say? Because hey, everything s- is so double meaning to, you know? Yeah. Hey, Siri, what was that? Yeah. What, what does that mean? Define that, please. <laughs> Start over. Pause. But yeah, uh, it's interesting, though. Um, and... Uh, this person, whoever they were, made a huge impact on on the Western world, for sure. I mean, this one individual, like, did amazing things. So, that brings me to today's Shakespeare. Um, the person today who is most compared with Shakespeare. Do you have any guesses who you think this is going to be? It doesn't matter, but do you have any thoughts? Uh... Stephen King. No, that's okay. Nope, it's not Stephen King. Good, because he's, I mean, I'm reading the standard. I mean, it's fine, but, I, like, is it groundbreaking? No. <laughs> um, okay, I heard a really interesting interview on PBS's uh, show. It's called, I think, Great Performances. And so this this artistic director guy said, Lin-Manuel Miranda is the next Shakespeare. Oh, shit. Yeah. Yeah. He said, and I love this. I absolutely love this quote. I actually watched the, for the, for these notes, I actually watched it like five times so I could type out the notes as he was saying it because I just thought it was so good. Um, This artistic director guy says, quote, what he was doing was exactly what Shakespeare did. He's taking the language of the people in Shakespeare's case, he's elevated it to iambic pentameter in Lin-Manuel's case, he elevated it to hip hop and rap. And he ennobled it by turning it into verse and by putting it at the center of a stage. That's exactly what Shakespeare was doing. And I really believe that Lynn's work can be compared to Shakespeare's. Uh, It has that breadth. It has that depth. The thing that Shakespeare understood is that there's no such thing as a private relationship. Two people may fall in love, but that involves their families, that involves their social statuses, that involves the head of the country, and that involves their work lives. So in every one of Shakespeare's plays, there are love stories, but they're embedded in a network of interconnections and relationships that mean everybody is part of the whole. Lynn does exactly the same thing in Hamilton. He never lets the microscope get narrow. It'll get deep, but it'll never get narrow. 
and mm. it opens up and it reflects back to America, our vision of who we think we are in our past and who we'd like to become, end quote. This guy is Oscar Eustace, and I just thought it was a, a really significant thing to spot. Yeah. Yeah, what do you think about that? I mean, I so I haven't seen Hamilton. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know he's, Lin-Manuel has done a couple things since then, but like Hamilton is still very much like, I saw an ad for it the other day, I went to a movie, and it was still like, and I think it's been like three years, maybe longer. Um, I know I I get it. I totally get it. I think like that makes sense just from what I've heard. Um, mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay. Um, I think that. Well, so was Shakespeare doing like? Because I think of Hamilton as like political slash social commentary tied into a history lesson. Mm-hmm. Is that was, yeah. was Shakespeare doing more just like plays, or was it kind of the same thing too? Uh, it's it, he was doing more like uh, like complicated relationship stories. I mean, there were certainly things that touched. I mean, the king, for instance, like in King Lear, um, King Henry, like the these stories were a lot more about. Uh, I feel like okay, so I think. King Lear is the one where he slowly loses his mind. He starts getting dementia or something. Mm -hmm. And so it's a, yes, it's about him and his political ambitions and people trying to seize power from him or whatever, but it's, it's more about he's losing his goddamn mind (laughs) and his family like want to do him in and stuff. And so it's this very soap opera kind of take on it. And I think Lynn Manuel does that too. It's it's history that he's telling, but in the choices that he made in how it how he tells the story, both through um, having it through like a musical and and also a rap musical. That's not t- typically something that's mixed together. Historical political stuff with rap, right? But I think y- you also got he made the genius decision to mix the races in all of the parts. Yeah, so. So like George Washington is black. Well, he's, I think he's mixed black and white. And I mean, you've got all these old white men that are played by, you know, a Puerto Rican. You've got played, you have an Asian uh, uh, American girl. You have all these mixed things. And it it told such a really, I th- I think he tells such a good story because he's telling this historical lesson, which I always love. Uh, but he's doing it in a way that includes everyone and that makes it fun for everyone um, and is changing to the sensitivities of today. So, you know, he's not going to fill it with a bunch of white people on Broadway because that's the part. He's changing Broadway. People can now, be, you know, be whoever they are if they have talent to be on, on stage or whatever. I mean, that wasn't the first case, but it certainly has been a big deal. So I think he brought it out and translated a dry history lesson into the story of today's people and the way they can absorb the message. And I think that's what Shakespeare does too. He takes stories that are maybe dry on their own and he, he translates them into, into a way of telling that's for today that everybody is so captivated by. Yeah. Okay. I hear that. I mean, I have an is not an issue with the, I can't use when you say translate, I'm like, he's translating it out of my language. Mm-hmm. Um, I understand that's not true. He's taking complicated stories and it's just dialect. That I, Well, I think it's just dialect. Mm-hmm. Um, it could also be like intentional, I guess. 
It's uh, also very dramatic. Everything he says is like an, an is like an analogy for something else. Shakespeare yes. does. Where Lynn is more like, you know, just putting it in musical form and saying it super quick, but he's still telling the story the way that you know we still can understand it in yeah. Hamilton. Um, it does go fast in some places or whatever if you're not used to that, but you can definitely understand the whole story that's going on. Yeah, and I think back then too they spoke differently. So. Uh, back in Shakespeare's time. So I don't think it was like they were speaking to us how, or we were speaking like this and then he just turned away and did this whole other thing. I think yeah. it was a lot closer to everyday language. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, yeah, so here. So here's um, here's what I think. While I'm not sure if Shakespeare was the front man for a greater writer or if he really did accomplish all the things that society says he did, I like to compare it to Lin-Manuel Miranda. Um, he was also raised in okay circumstances. Like he wasn't super wealthy or super privileged, uh, Lin-Manuel. Um, his dad was a political consultant uh, to some New York City mayors and his mom was a psychologist. He ended up writing In the Heights, <clears throat> excuse me, which is about to become a movie um, after having huge success, uh, specifically for Tony Awards, a Pulitzer, and a Grammy before he went on to create Hamilton. So this is actually his second Broadway. Hamilton was his second Broadway success. It's just it, way, 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 way bigger. Um, which, I mean, Hamilton, he took home like a fucking semi-truck full of awards. So <laughs> yeah. um, this is all just to say that people are not a cumulative product of their upbringing or their parentage. If they were, no one would ever evolve. Yeah. <laughs> you know? If yeah. you were exactly like your parents and you never were better, slightly better or, or slightly worse, whatever, but different, you know, we would never evolve. It's yeah. a dash here. It's some spice there that just create a person and what inspires them and what they create of it as a result. Um, so it's possible that, you know, Shakespeare could actually be Shakespeare um, because I don't believe that class determines intelligence. Yeah. Um, however, could it have been some bored, artistically stifled lord that couldn't go be a performer and whatever? So he forfeited the credit in the name of making art for people to enjoy. I believe that's also possible. So we'll never know. Um, <clears throat> and with that, I have a final quote that says, Adieu, I have too grieved a heart to take a tedious leave which is from The Merchant of Venice, which just means, I'm sorry, we're leaving this to go do boring stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Back on the grind. Okay, see, one more time. Adieu, I have too grieved a heart to take a tedious leave. Like, I have also grieved a heart to take a tedious leave. That too. Yeah. See, that's just hard for me. Yeah. <laughs> like, I know, I because it's just drenched in... You have to, I think, I think you have to have a really good handle on language and know a lot of SAT words <laughs> in order to understand well. And I, I say that as someone who doesn't understand it, like, easily at all. I think you have to know a lot of, like, a lot of glossary, a lot of thesaurus words, because, yeah. you know, because you have to know if, you know, like this rumpelian up, up at the top, I said, like, you fuss, fuss, I had never heard these words before. You skull, well, scullion I've heard, but rampalian, you fustilarian. It's like, who says that? <laughs> who says that? I don't know what that is. Rampalian. 
I don't know. I mean, I have to assume, I have to guess. It's like scoundrel. Again, like I feel like SATs, SATs, <laughs> the word section. That um and like the like I feel like some of the words have a different context then versus now. So like I, oh, I think I know what that means, but next to that word I have no idea what that means. Yeah. And I think you're you are definitely most of us. And you know, remember too, critics Okay, this is such a this is such a true thing in my opinion. Critics tend to love and elevate what they don't always understand uh-huh. so that they look like they know what is going on. Say that. So they're really co- I mean, I think Shakespeare does have some actual like chops, like actually is amazing. <laughs> How arrogant of me to say. It. I think Shakespeare's like actually okay. Like I think it's good. <laughs> I'm just saying. But I think a lot of critics tend to so like Ever do you ever see like when when there's a movie that comes out and you're like this was the weirdest stupidest ass movie I've ever seen why is it a hundred on Rotten Tomatoes have you ever ha- had that experience You're oh. like the critics are saying this is such a great movie I did not see why this was such a great movie oh all the time yeah the and time. so I really think not always but I really think sometimes critics are like oh I don't know what the fuck is going on but I gotta look like I know how to do my job so right ten out of ten I, I thought it was be- great. I have to be advanced, sophisticated, all that here. Yeah. Don't you think? Don't you think that's sometimes the case? So maybe he's as famous as he is because a lot of people were like us and like, I don't know what the fuck is going on. Let's just tell them. Let's just give them a standing ovation because I don't know what the fuck is happening. Right. I think that might be part of it. (laughs) Because I do know. I really do. And then, yeah, it's like that whenever you're playing those, like, I I do know, but I'm not going to tell you games. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I loved it. Did you love it? Yeah, yeah, I loved it. I thought it was great. Mm-hmm. That one part? Like, for part? instance, yeah, 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 that one part, that best part, like, that we all love so much. Remember that? Like, Greg, Greg too. Greg Greg hates Shakespeare. I could, I could never punish him and have him sit down and watch a Shakespeare movie because it's something that I enjoy sometimes when I'm in the mood to think and really, really try to – but, again, I'm pausing. I'm trying to digest it. Like, it's a horrible experience for everyone else. But yeah. – he is miserable. He's like, I'm not, I don't think this way. I hate this. I mm-hmm. don't know. I'm just watching people speak a foreign language without any understanding of what's going on. And that's it. And that's just some, that's just the way a lot of us are. I mean, it is a different dead language. And so we have to kind of study it if we are interested to do so. But whatever, just watch the remix, everybody. It's fine. Go watch 10 Things I Hate About You and then you know teaming is true. <laughs> yeah. Good job. And you can you're, say you love done. Shakespeare. Yeah. Go, go watch Warm Bodies, Romeo and Juliet. Done. Yeah. Like... <laughs> In a zombie motif. It's fine. You're Like, you're an intellectual, too. It's fine. Anyway. Well, that's it, babe. That's that's a short one, but that's all I have. Um, okay, guys. Um, we will be back, actually, in two weeks. Um, so we have a week off in between. So bear with us, and we will see you when we return. Uh, so stay healthy, yes. stay happy, and uh, we'll see you soon. Okay? All right. Three, two... One. Bye. Bye.